0: All right. Yeah, let's just praise the Lord for the Nepal trip once again. And you know, in that video footage and in Rona's testimony, uh, especially that one where the rain came, waiting for 45 minutes, uh, that church had, had actually never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in that way before. And so it's not like... That was something that they do every week, and that's how they pray every day. I mean, that was all very new to them. Uh, but the pastors, uh, they opened up their hearts as they saw the fruit of what had happened, and so there's been a lot of good reports coming from Nepal. And so we just praise the Lord for that. I and mean, most of the church here, here at New Philly, we all came from a very conservative denominational backgrounds, and so for at one point in our spiritual journey in the last four or five years, all of this Holy Spirit power stuff, spiritual gift stuff, tongue stuff, this is all very new to us as well. And so, you know, we kind of like taking it to people who've never experienced it, uh, because we like seeing the fascination and the joy and the surprise that is on people's faces when they experience God's power for the first time. It's like a child putting his finger into an electric socket <laughs> and being surprised by the invisible power that's coming out of that electrical socket. and We, we love watching uh, people get touched by the Holy Spirit. And it just shows that the way that the Holy Spirit moved in the book of Acts, in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is still doing that stuff. There's a lot of people who have built up doctrines to argue that God doesn't move in that way anymore. That it was, there was a need to canonize the scriptures, to gather the scriptures. And now that we have the scriptures, we don't need those spiritual gifts anymore. We don't need those supernatural phenomena anymore. And so they kind of dismissed it and, and created a doctrine, really not based on the word of God. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say, there will come a day when the supernatural will dry up. And I will remove all spiritual gifts and give you my book. And on my book, you will live. You know, although scripture is all God-breathed, useful for correcting, teaching, rebuking, training in righteousness, uh, nowhere in scripture does it say that those things have ceased. And so we have to be careful not to create our doctrines based on our experience. Doctrine must come from the Word of God. And, you know, really, uh, the Word of God... As you are led by the Spirit of God. you know People can take the Word of God and interpret it in all kinds of different ways when they are led by a different spirit. Or when they are led by their own mind or Western thinking or different logic systems. Or different presuppositions, philosophical presuppositions. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. Alright, let me get into my message today. Look with me to Revelation chapter 11. Verse 15. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. The kingdoms of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Today I'm going to preach a message that inspired by my wife. Traditionally I wouldn't preach a message like this. But inspired by my wife, I'm going to preach a message using a movie. So, I feel almost sinful doing this. But after seeing the fruit of my wife's uh, very powerful exegesis of Mission Impossible, (laughs) I decided, you know what? God can redeem anything. He can use anything and preach out of it. Jesus is like using farmers, using plants, using birds. He's just taking anything. He's just preaching out of anything. God can redeem anything. And speak to you about it, using it. And so I'm going to use a movie. And this inspiration, I can't take credit for it. I originally heard this from my good friend Joe O, who I'm going to see this week uh, when I go to San Francisco. Uh, If you guys don't, Joe O, he's come and spoken for us several times. He's a minister at the Emmaus retreats. Wonderful friend of ours. And one time, actually it was like the first time I met him. We're just talking and, you know. All of a sudden, he just starts opening up about all these different things. Next thing I know, he's talking about the movie Lion King. (laughs) And sharing with me all these little insights from the movie that he thinks parallels our redemptive story in God. And next thing I know, he's crying. (laughs) Talking about Mufasa and Simba and... I was like, who is this guy? And uh, I felt an anointing on what he shared. And I actually wanted to kind of one day preach on it. But I was reluctant because this tradition is not what I usually do. But uh, I think I've been fully convinced that there is a very powerful redemptive story here in Lion King. And I know that Lion King has controversies with being New Age-like. Uh, circle of life, you know, that's not particularly biblical, and people say, you know, uh, the, the monkey Rafiki is uh, using all kinds of witchcraft and sorcery in the movie, and so Lion King is not biblical, it's not Christian, so we should not never ever talk about that movie, we should not even show our kids the movie, because even in the movie there's a scene where there's the word sex goes up, and then, you know, the movie... Uh, the production studio was saying, no, it's actually not sex. It's SFX from the special effects uh, crew. They just kind of put it in as a signature thing, you know, which they do. animation people do that all the time. You just have to look for it. But uh, anyway, and so you know, I know there's controversy surrounding the movie, but let me tell you something about that controversy. Let me tell you something about The Lion King, okay? <laughs> let me tell you something about The Lion King. God can put his word... Into the mouths of our enemies. Don't think that only God can speak to you through your best friends, through your family, through fellow church members. God can speak to you through somebody who's opposing you. God can speak to you through a non-Christian. Doesn't know that they're being used by God in that way. But they can speak out a word that confirms something you've already been hearing from God. For example, in the the Bible, Balaam is hired. He's a sorcerer. He is hired to curse the Israelites, given a good amount of money. He gets up on the mountain to curse the Israelites. And as he's about to curse them, he blesses them. (laughs) So the king who hired him is like, what are you doing? I paid you so you can curse them. Why are you blessing them? You know, and next thing you know, Balaam's like prophesying practically. So the king's like, all right, all right, maybe you just had a bad day. All right, let's go up over here. This time, I want you to curse them for sure. He goes up, tries to curse them again. Once again, he ends up blessing them. Now you have to understand, you know, if you see that story and you start thinking, oh, maybe Balaam was a Christian. Maybe he was a believer in Yahweh. Okay. Okay. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. In fact, the, the Bible paints Balaam as a wicked man. He's a wicked sorcerer. And just because the words of God came out of his mouth doesn't make him a true believer. God can put his word. He can speak to you a powerful message through the mouth of your enemies. I'll give you another example. Jesus. On the earth, in John chapter 11, during his uh, earthly ministry, in John chapter 11, it says that after he raised Lazarus from the dead, the Jewish high priests and the Jewish leaders were getting very concerned that the people were all going to end up following Jesus. Because, you know, you raise somebody from the dead, I mean, that's kind of hard to argue with. (laughs) So they're like, we got to do something. We have to kill this guy, right? And it's really interesting. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you don't know anything at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And then, the Bible, and then the author of John, he interprets it. He says, he did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And from that day on, they plotted his death. Just because Caiaphas said this true statement, it's better for one man to die than for the nation. To die. To perish. That doesn't mean Caiaphas was, you know, we're going to see Caiaphas in heaven. All right. Caiaphas, you know, he's the one, uh, the one who was in charge when Jesus was tried and crucified. What I'm trying to say is, God can speak to us through a variety of methods. We just have to have a discerning eye about the sources. Okay. And so today, let me, let me tell you something right now. I don't know who wrote the Lion King movie. Some people accuse uh, the the writers of copying an old Japanese film or something like that. I don't care. I don't care where it came from. All I know is whether they were Christian or not, it doesn't matter. All right. God put a a message in here. He put a kingdom message here. And I'm going to draw it out for you. Is that okay with you? All right. So today we're going to look at the kingdom message according to Lion King. If you know the beginning of the movie, we're just gonna have some fun today, right? At the beginning of the movie, you have this loud, uh, anybody, can anybody do that, that, that song at the beginning? La 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 And you have, uh, Rafiki, this monkey, he raises baby Simba, the baby little cub. For all of heaven and earth to see. It says, here is your up and coming king, your future king, right? And then all of the animals bowed down. Okay. Now you have to understand this, okay? All right. When God created man, he told man to take dominion over the earth, the birds, the animals, the fish. Have you ever wondered how amazing it is What they do in SeaWorld? I mean What knucklehead decided Let's make money By training and talking to these big old fish That can just make an accident and kill us Let's train them somehow So that we can swim with them And and let them push us up And so we can do flips and stuff And make people gather and pay money for it What knucklehead came up with that idea? I mean, if somebody told me that idea, I'm like, man, you by yourself, man. I ain't joining you on that. But amazingly, we are able to subdue even killer whales. Dolphins. They obey us. Huge elephants. They obey us. Even lions. At circuses, you see a lion, tigers. These things could, you know, you know. Why are we able to see and experience that? Why? It's, cause it's from the original mandate God gave. See, so In the movie Lion King, the lion is the one who takes dominion over all the animals. But we know the real story. The Bible says we are the ones that has dominion over the whole earth. And this world was supposed to look a certain way. When man in fellowship with God takes dominion over the earth. It's supposed to look a certain way. But we lost that through the fall in the Garden of Eden. Now, what's really interesting is in this story, you have this character named Scar. And here in, this, in, the, in the story, Scar is Mufasa's supposed brother. And they don't really look alike. Scar's like all like skinny and famished. And Mufasa's <laughs> like thick and thick and muscular. And uh, anyway, Scar is sitting by as uh, Mufasa's son Simba is raised up for everyone to see. Scar is on the side in jealousy, thinking about how he can one day take over. Okay, and so I, now the analogy only goes so far. All right, don't don't follow me too. Oh, are you saying that God is brother? Satan is God's brother or something like that? No, that's not what I'm saying. But the antagonist is there and the scar. Okay, and he's there. He's plotting the day Simba is is exalted that way, he's full of jealousy. Why? Because he wants to be in charge. What does that sound like? Sounds like somebody else. Right? He was given all of this authority. Satan, the Bible says, was given all this authority. But when man was created, intense jealousy rose up. And somewhere along when God created man and the fall in the Garden of Eden... Right, Satan rebelled. He took a third of the angels of heaven with him. Okay, and so Scar comes, and uh, you know, is trying to like deceive Symbol in different ways, you know, and tell him to, you know, uh, I don't know, I don't know. He says bad stuff, right? And you obviously see that Scar is a is a is a bad character, and uh, you know, he's got his little demonic forces. They're the hyenas, you know, Whoopi Goldberg's voice, the hi- little hyenas, you know, they look like demons, you know. You know and Simba has this uh friend Nala, another baby cub, and they play together right hey have an eve right there All right? anyway nala they're playing, and you know simba you hear the song, you know, you know um. I'm going to be a mighty king, so enemies beware. I've never seen a king of beasts with quite so little hair. I'm going to be the main event like no king was before. I'm brushing up on looking down. I'm working on my roar. You know, oh, I just can't wait to be king. Right. And he's singing this song. And shortly after Simba's fully convinced of his identity. He knows who he is. He knows he's supposed to take over. And he can't wait. And Scar, he deceives Simba and says come and your father's going to be waiting here one day come and he sets him up and tells him to wait and then he signals to a stampede of wildebeest to come out of nowhere. And they start stampeding towards little baby Simba. And just as Simba's about to die, Scar actually goes and gets his brother Mufasa and says, Mufasa, your son is in trouble. Go get him. So Mufasa runs out of nowhere and grabs Simba out of danger. Right? Puts him in a place of safety. And then he's trying to climb out. And then Scar is like, let me help you. He grabs his paws. And then, as he's climbing up, he says, "Psych!" <laughs> and then Mufasa falls into the stampede. If you guys didn't see the movie, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can still watch it. It's still a good story. All right, uh, the spoiler is not going to kill the experience. All right. Anyway, Mufasa dies. Okay, and uh, and what happens right after Mufasa dies? Scar deceives Simba. Who set up that death? It was Scar. Scar set the whole thing up. The only fault here Simba had was in believing Scar, in believing these lies. Now, he willfully believed the lies. But in his mature, immaturity, he didn't know better. Right? But anyway, he tells Simba, it's all your fault your father died. It's all your fault. And so with all of this guilt, Simba runs away from the pride. Never to be seen again for, for quite a long time. And then Scar goes back into the pride, into the group of uh, animals. I guess They call it the pride. And he tells everybody that Mufasa and Simba have died. And then he says, now I'm in charge. And my hyenas are going to help me. Now, what is that? What is that? Satan, the prince of the power of the air, uses deception. If you really think about the story, right, of of our story. Yes, it was our fault that Jesus went to the cross. Yes, it was our sin that held him there. Yes, we willfully chose to disobey God's word. But you have to understand that there was a setup. Now, I'm not trying to take responsibility away from Adam and Eve. I mean, they were responsible. They should have known better. But they were set up by the serpent. God said, don't eat of this tree. You can eat of any tree, but don't eat of this tree. On the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And Satan comes and attacks that word. What, what does Satan often do? He attacks the word of God, doesn't he? He says, did God really say that? No. Nah. He knows that on the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Right? And so, (laughs) Satan set us up to fall into sin. You have to understand that. And then, the funny thing is, in Christianity, we have a very healthy understanding of the cross. And that understanding is, God sent his son into the world... To die on the cross for the atonement and forgiveness of our sins. That is absolutely true. But the Bible doesn't end there. The Bible says Jesus resurrected three days later to prove that everything he said is true. Of which includes things like, for all who call on his name, they will be called children of God. God gave us not a spirit of fear that makes us a slave again to fear. He's not giving us a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, but he's given us a spirit of sonship by whom we call the Father. And so once we receive the cross, we're supposed to not you know, move away from the cross. We always have the cross-centered life in our, in our lives. We, have always, we all have our own cross you know, to bear as well. But once we receive the forgiveness, we've got to believe it, and then our identity starts to focus on the new identity Christ gives us. Well, what happens in the church? Satan comes and he whispers something into the ears of many Christians. Every time we sin, every time we make a mistake, Satan comes and he whispers. He says, you see that? You're such a sinner. You're such a failure. It's your fault Jesus went to the cross. You should feel guilty every time you see the cross. You shouldn't feel thanksgiving. You should feel guilt. Because look at you. Fresh sin. Look at you. You're just nothing but a sinner. And he continually beats the church down and makes us feel ashamed and guilty of our sin. It makes us ashamed and guilty. I mean, he accuse, he actually tempts us. He's the one who deceives and tempts us. Then once we sin, then he accuses us and says, it's all your fault. Now, the truth is, All right, Satan, I chose to sin, but hey, you have something to do with this too, all right? It's not all my fault. Your fault too. But Satan never tells you that. He makes it feel like it's all your fault. Now, the problem is with religion, the religious spirit goes along with this whole logic and perpetuates it and says, yeah, it is your fault. And therefore, you're nothing but a sinner saved by grace. That's the best thing you are. Your unworthy servant just barely getting into heaven by the grace of God, which you should be thankful for every single moment. And never points us to our true identity, to the restoration of God's original mandate, which is to take dominion. Religion never points to that. Religion takes you to the cross and then makes you feel like Simba. Like Scar made Simba feel. This is all your fault. You're such a failure. You're such a failure. What does Simba do? Instead of taking his rightful position, which Christ died to restore, he runs away and sings Hakuna Matata. (laughs) Think about that. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. What does Hakuna Matata represent? No worries, right? No, I mean, more than that. It it represents the Christian life, the fruitless Christian life, the idle Christian life. It represents Moses after he ran away from Egypt. He makes a mistake. It makes a big mistake. He murders an Egyptian. He makes a mistake. I bet you the accuser was there. The accuser of the brethren. Satan was there. It's all your fault. You're such a failure. And up until that point, I guarantee you, Moses, you know why he even intervened? Because he believed he's the deliverer. Why? Because he knew his own story. He knew that all these babies were killed. Hebrew babies were killed at the same time he was getting killed. And then, and then his mama put him in a basket. And then, and then one of the uh, Pharaoh's daughters scooped him out of the water. He knew his story. He knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew he got the best education, even though he was really a slave. And he, he was thinking, man, I'm going to deliver my people. I'm telling you, he had that mentality, but when he made that mistake, the accuser came and said, no, you're not deliver. you're a failure. It's all your fault. You're going to make more mistakes. You better get out of here before you, you get killed. You, you, somebody finds out. And so Moses runs out into the desert and sings Hakuna Matata. You know, The religious system, you know, like a Pharisaic religious church system, is like the desert. Satan uses deception, brings Christians into that desert, and makes sure they stay there and never realize their true position in Christ. Never realize that they're royalty. Never realize that they're priests of the Lord and ministers of our God. He uses religious systems and structures to keep the church ineffective and idle. Okay, Let's keep moving with the story here. Uh, Timon and Pumbaa, you know, they're having a great time out there. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're living it up. And one day, his childhood, you know, friend Nala, she jumps on Pumbaa to eat him, the, the warthog, you know. She's about to eat him and then Simba comes out of nowhere and, you know, attacks her and they start fighting and fighting and fighting. And then Nala realizes, oh my goodness, you are Simba. Simba, Scar told us you are dead, but you're alive. Right? And Nala is getting so excited because she knows who Simba is. But unfortunately, Simba doesn't know who Simba is. Nala remembers the song, I Can't Wait to Be King. Nala Nala remembers the real Simba, but Simba has forgotten. And then Nala tells Simba, you don't understand, Scar and his hoodlums have taken over. And they have ravaged the land. It's full of destruction and death. The trees are stripped away. Think about that. When Satan gets in charge. Do you want to see a picture of when Satan is fully in charge? Look at North Korea. North Korea is one of the few countries in the world where Satan has absolute authority. Now, I believe one of the reasons why Satan has made such a crazy, cruel system in all the world. Not been, and he hasn't been subtle about It's because there was an outpouring in 1907 in Korea of the Holy Spirit which really sparked an incredible revival of Christianity in Korea, in in Asia at that time. 1907, there was a great outpouring. Shortly thereafter, Japanese occupation, where Satan couldn't hold that down for very long. Because, you know, a lot of the freedom fighters were actually Christians. They led the way, led the way to independence. And then when the Japanese fell in World War II, Satan used the Korean War. Because he is so threatened by this nation. Now, every nation is valuable, has its own values. But let me tell you something. Right, There is something special about Korea. There's there's a key purpose this country has in God's redemptive story. We have to understand that. Whether you're Korean or not. Whether you're half Korean. Whether you're married to a Korean. Whether you just work with one. You have to understand this nation. Hey, 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 I, I represent the, the Ezra and Nehemiah. Because I'm I was exiled. It wasn't my by my choice. Just like you know Ezra and Nehemiah's family, you know, they got locked up and they got thrown and scattered all over the world. I got scattered in Philadelphia, man. I didn't want to go there. I like my pepero, and I like, you know. Tegu <laughs> my, was my little world. I enjoyed all the different themed noritas, you know, the sugi norita, and the, and the kokiri norita. We used to go from norita to the playground to playground with different animal themes. We used to, that was my world, and then God, yeah, I got forced out of there. And then when I become an adult, God says, return to your homeland. I want you to build something. Now that's, that's my story. I'm here because of God, not because of Bebero. Nala tells Simba, the pride has been ravaged. You will not understand. You have to come and you have to change it. You have to return it. You have to restore it. Simba, you can do it. And, And Simba is just like, no. You don't understand. It was all my fault. I'm a failure. I can never go back. And he just replaying Scar's lies. It's all your fault. You're no king. And so we have this movie scene where Simba is gazing into the waters of a pool. And he looks down and he sees a full-grown lion there. Not just a baby cub. He sees a lion there. And he gets excited. He's like, is that, is that my father? And then he realizes it's just his own reflection. But that in that same moment, he then sees his father's image. And he starts to feel his father's presence. And then there's a voice that says, look inside yourself, Simba. You will find that you are more than what you have become. You must take your place. Remember who you are. Come on. Come on. That's powerful, man. That's powerful. I'm like, oh, I need to get back. I'm coming. Now, let me tell you something about Lion King. Let me tell you something right now. You're going to be. You can be like you're stretching all these you know analogies. I don't know about all that. But let me tell you let me let me tell you to you straight. Let me tell you straight. It's not that the Bible borrowed from the Lion King, it's that the Lion King borrowed from the Bible. I guarantee you these writers, they're reading the Bible, they're looking for ideas because they had no creativity of their own. And they're like, Man, the Bible got some cool stories. Let's use some of these themes and some of these themes. And let's make money off of it. But what they didn't know was, God was up in there and whispering to them to write the movie this way, write it that way, because there're going to be some smart sons and daughters. <laughs> One day they're going to find my fingerprints in this movie, and they're going to find because it's a movie that every child has watched. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I wonder if I can do the same thing for Little Mermaid. I'll, I'll, I'll look at Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid is also pretty good. Oh, and uh, Rapunzel, uh, the uh, Tangled movie. Man, Tangled's got some powerful <laughs> biblical themes. But I won't get carried away. Let me do it one movie at a time. I mean, how powerful is that? He's looking at himself, and then he sees his father. What does that mean? What does the Bible tell us? Although sin polluted and contaminated mankind, what does Jesus do? When Jesus dies to save us and and to heal us and to restore us, he restores us and he sanctifies us into the image of him. We're being sanctified, changed into the image of Christ. Why? Because we're supposed to reflect that image in which we were originally created. So if you really want to see God, you got to look at God's people and you got to look at yourself. The more sanctified you are, the more of God you will see in that Christian. Satan has ravaged our cities, our families. Him and his demons have ravaged entire nations. And somebody like Nala, a North Korean refugee, a cousin who is mentally ill, a friend that's so lost and depressed, comes and says, wait, you're a Christian. Aren't you supposed to be able to do something about this? Or I remember you. I remember you back in the day. You used to do all these things. You got to come back and you got to help us. You got to come back. You got to do something about this. You know, and many of us, we go, I'll pray about it. (laughs) But I can't go there. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the mistakes I've made. And what we have to realize is we have to understand who we are. We're forgetting who we are. Bible says that we are kings and priests. God's given us, God's made us a kingdom of priests. But another translation says kings and priests. There's royalty in our blood. That's who we really are. And it's when the people of God begin to awaken. When the church awakens to who they really are, that's when they start to take their place. I'm telling you, right now at this hour, God is using this movie. And there's a voice echoing out of it, right? Simba you will find that you are more than you have become. How many of us in in here, especially our leaders who've who've been transformed, that's your story. You're going to church for all these years and you thought this was good enough. You thought that this is Christianity and then God brought you here and then just radically wrecked you, (laughs) renewed your mind and showed you you're so much more than you are. You're so much more than what you've become. That's Pastor Aaron right there. When she came to Korea four years ago, she was just, you know, trying to, trying to not smoke weed. That was her biggest struggle. Now You guys know her story, right? She used to smoke weed all the time. Her biggest struggle was to not smoke weed. She was telling me, man, I can't, I'm going to hang out with this New York City friend this weekend, and you got to pray for me. I'm like, why? Cause I'm afraid I'm going to smoke we used to smoke back in the day. I'm just afraid. I'm just afraid I'm going to go back to my old ways. That was her biggest struggle at that time. Because that's, that's who she had become. But when, God, when she stepped foot in this house, God said, No, you are more than that. You must take your place. And so, Pastor Aaron, she has really risen up in the last four years to take her place. You know, her, mom, her parents watched her preach on video. You know, these videos go up all the time now. And so we we're sharing with our friends. A lot of people are watching. Uh, I even got an email this morning of uh, a sister who was part of Emmaus. And uh, she's out in Africa right now with the Peace Corps. And she's just miserable. I guess the Peace Corps, man, don't join the Peace Corps. <laughs> <laughs> They're not doing a good job right now. And there's all the sexual scan, abuse as, as well. Anyway, I mean, she's miserable. And she she just wrote to say, but... I've been refreshed by your podcast. I'm listening every single week. And I just wanted to say thank you. And so her parents watched her preach on video. And you got to understand, at one point, they opposed our marriage. They didn't know what God was really doing there. And, uh, but now they are a bigger supporter. They are like our biggest fan. And her mom wrote this email and said, you know, I watched you on video, and I was just so proud of you. and my, Your father came next to me, and we're watching, and that's our daughter, and then we're just so proud of you. And by the way, you got to fix this and that and that. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that's a mom, you know. That's, that's what moms do. <laughs> but, man, she, I, I, never, I never heard her say that about Aaron, you know, because they, they had a period where they had a tough, estranged relationship. God's really restore that. Anyway, Simba Simba is not moving. So Rafiki, right, this monkey who is practicing voodoo or whatever he's doing. He does the spell, sees this vision, and he realizes Simba's alive. Now, Joe O oh mentioned this. I don't know if I agree, but he's like He's like Rafiki represents like like the holy spirit or represents the gifts of the spirit or represents like that prophetic person the prophet why cuz Rafiki's speaking in tongues throughout the movie <laughs> and he's able to you know see all this revelation right and anyway so Rafiki brings a message to Simba's friends And, so, uh, and tries to get Simba back and says the rightful king is on his way to claim his throne. Oh, wow. And I, I, I don't remember how Simba got convinced. I forget. But anyway, Simba gets convinced. Maybe, you know, it was Nala, you know, kind of like, you know, Nala, you know, they, you know, can you feel the love tonight? Tonight. You know, and, you know, I guess the love, you know, makes you do funny things. And Anyways. Simba begins to run back toward Pride Rock. And then when he reaches the borders of the kingdom, he's just shocked. Because he just sees the whole land become wasted. It just become a wasteland. You know, a few years ago, when I went with Campus Crusade up to the borders of North Korea, I was shocked. Because along Tumen River and the, and the Yalu River, we took these boat rides. And it's so strange. Because you look over on the North Korea side. And it's just completely dried out. Barren. There's no green anywhere. And then you look over just a couple hundred yards across the river. Or even at some parts of the river. It's just really small. It's like 40 yards wide. You look just across the river to China and it's all green, tall trees, lights, norebangs. I mean, you see everything there, but in North Korea, it's completely dry. And back then, I didn't know the fullness of my identity. And I was just overcome with despair. And I said, Lord, you got to have mercy on these people. Lord, please do something. Lord, I was just begging God. And what I didn't know was, it's already on God's heart. North Korea has already been on God's heart. North Korea, God was the reason why I was even on that trip. And God was like, don't worry. We're going to do something about it. You're going to do something about it. You know, remember, remember disciples, all these people, they're hungry. You send them away. Jesus is like, you feed them. It felt like God was like, you're going to do something about this. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? But the more I've grown into my identity, the more I realize i got to take my place. As I inspire an army of people to pray, an army of people to get ready to enter the borders of that nation, to heal and deliver and to bring the good news, to bring hope to North Korea, I know that I'm doing my part. I'm taking my place. I'm not just watching on, that, on the top of that wasteland. And just thinking, oh, what a pitiful thing that has happened. No. When you know who you are, that's not your attitude. Your attitude is not, oh, oh so brusong, oh, so pitiful, oh, 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 Lord, oh, have mercy on these. No, even you know who you are, you get, there's a holy righteous anger that burns inside of you. And you, and you begin to see, you see this? this? is The enemy has done this. But I can do something about this. And so Simba, he uh, he meets his mom, assuring her that he's alive, uh, back to fulfill his destiny. Uh, and then Scar has his confrontation with Simba, and they ba- and they face off. And Scar is afraid. Initially, he's scared. Why? Because he thinks it's Mufasa back from the dead. But when he realizes it's actually Simba, he smirks, says, "It's just only Simba." And he charges and they fight, and they fight like lions, you know), rah, 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 you know <laughs> And then Simba pins Scar and makes him confess to all the things he's done. And uh, I don't know it move uh, did did uh, did a Scar die? I don't remember if Scar died. Scar dies. Good. I'm glad he died. He <laughs> <laughs> takes care of that. All right. And then uh, yeah, Simba is restored to his rightful place. And. Uh, He begins to set things back in order. The pride begins to get healed. Animals start to begin healed. Things begin to look like all things are back to new. And it says in Revelation chapter 21 verse 5. The words of our Lord. Behold, I am making all things new. When Jesus was walking to the cross, when he was hanging on that cross, this is what he was thinking. I am making all things new. But you see, the cross has to have its rightful effect in our lives. If all things are going to be made new in North Korea, if all things are going to be made new in our city, in our families... We can't, we gotta, we gotta move away from just that place where we just stay in guilt and shame over our failures and sins. We have to believe we're forgiven. We have to believe that the flesh has been put to death. And we have to begin to live our lives victoriously, in purity, taking our rightful place. You know, the Bible says that, 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, you have to understand here that the Bible says the devil walks about like a roaring lion. But the Bible doesn't say the devil is a roaring lion. So this is where the movie departs from the scripture, because in, in the in the movie Scar is a lion. He's a weakly little, ugly, nasty lion. But he's a lion. But in scripture, scripture doesn't tell us that the devil is a lion. The devil is a little serpent. He's a little snake, a little scorpion. If you see a scorpion, move into the sanctuary right now. And you got a nice shoe, you got a nice thick shoe on, you step on that scorpion and take care of it. The devil's not a lion. He's like a lion. In fact, he's like a roaring lion. Why? Because he, he, he has to make all this noise. Why? To threaten you, to make you get scared. Because he really knows that he doesn't really have the power to overcome you. So he uses deception. To make you ineffective. To paralyze you. I love what Pastor Benjamin taught. He said, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the thing about the devil is, when he comes up on somebody, he comes up upon them because he knows he can devour them. But let me tell you something right now. Pastor Benjamin was saying, there are Christians that are undevourable. In fact, if all Christians know who they really are, they're an undevourable. Think about that. Can a little snake devour a lion? No. But if the snake can get you to believe that he can, then you might just get all scared and run away. You see, when our mind... Remember, our mind is key, right? When our minds are strong, our faith is strong. That's why we need to really get into the Word of God. We need to constantly meditate on the words of God because our mind has to be shifted and focused on the rightful place of faith. God's promises, God's Word, God's truth, the words of your spiritual father. The words of hope and life. You got to focus. You got to keep your mindset on those things, not on the lies. Uh, what Scar said. What Satan said. We got to keep our minds focused in the rightful place. And when we do that, we become undevourable to the Bible. Uh, to the, the, the undevirable to the devil. <laughs> to the Bible. Yeah, well, the Bible doesn't devour us. Thank you. Uh, the devil. Say, I am undevourable. I am undevourable. Each and every one of us. Okay, we are like Simba. Lion kings that are just waking up to their true identity, getting over their guilt and shame over what they've done and starting to hear the voice of the father saying, take your place. We're living in an age right now where our generation, we're all like Simba. And we're returning to the pride. And we're burning with holy anger over what Satan has set up. And we're going in there to demolish his works. And to establish the reign of King Jesus once again. Revelation 5.5 says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we are all being conformed to his image. One of the images the Bible uses is Jesus as a lion. So if you reflect him, that means that you are a lion. The Bible says in Proverbs that the righteous are as bold as a lion. But it says we got to stop living our lives like Bambi. That's Pastor Benjamin's analogy. You know, too many Christians we're like Bambi. We're like, you know... Always all scared, you know, know, drinking water from the little pond and brook. And then a little mouse runs across him "Ah!" and we run away. But we're not Bambi, we're Simba. When a lion is licking up water from a pond and he hears something, he goes, dinner. Dinner. He's not scared. Pastor Benjamin's knowledge, about by the way. He's thinking everything that moves in there is his prey, including little serpents and scorpions. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. We have authority. We are of royal priesthood. Would you guys close your eyes? I'm going to invite up all the altar ministers right now.